Gracious Father, we thank you for speaking to us and we ask, please, that your spirit, whom you have promised to those who trust in you, uh, would indeed be amongst us this morning and giving us understanding and conviction that your word is the truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a wonderful old story about a profoundly honest advertisement. The polar explorer Ernest Shackleton was said to have taken out an ad in the London Times like this. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honour and recognition in case of success. Ernest Shackleton. And as the story goes, he was inundated with applications. Unfortunately, it turns out, Shackleton never placed such an ad. The story about his really honest advertisement was made up. We're still looking for a story about really honest advertising. But it does raise for us the question, doesn't it? If you're inviting someone to come with you, How honest should you be about what's involved? Well, according to Jesus, the answer seems to be, well, you should be very honest. In this part of Jesus' farewell discourse to his disciples, Jesus wants to make sure that his disciples understand what they're getting themselves into as his followers. So he explains to them, the world will hate you. He needs to tell them that so that when it happens, they won't be surprised and lose their faith. Chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first, Jesus says. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. Now, I'm going to come in a few minutes to the fact that the world hated Jesus. First, I want to focus on those words, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world, Jesus says. Now, that is what has happened to every Christian person. Jesus has chosen us and given us a new citizenship, a new identity. We're citizens of the coming kingdom. And when our neighbours and associates in this world realise that we're just passing through this world on a heavenly passport and that we don't consider this world our true home, a lot of people don't like that. Now, Jesus uses a strong word here, hatred, Uh, but it doesn't mean we're going to receive constant murderous hatred as Christians in this world. Uh, Hatred does flare up, and we hear of literal uh, murders of Christians, uh, usually in foreign places. Often hatred can be simmering under the surface. Uh, So this, this hatred Jesus speaks of, it takes many different forms, but what it clearly does mean is that the world will not like the alternate loyalty we have to a king and to a kingdom that is beyond this world. When we're a Christian, we've been chosen by Jesus out of this world. We're not of the world anymore. 
Hence that often used saying that Christians are in the world but not of the world. And that's the sort of a tension that Christians have to negotiate. Uh, Jesus does not want us to think in, in, a, in terms of a them and us situation. Uh, we are not to think that the world is out to get us. We're not to go building barriers. Uh, the big proof of that is uh, something that uh, the other Andrew helpfully pointed out last week. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, reminds us, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This world which hates us, God loves. Jesus taught us to love our enemy, didn't he? We are to love. If others want to build barriers, we can't necessarily prevent that. But we're not to do anything which will foster a them and us situation. However, we do need to be wise enough and canny enough to heed Jesus' warning that the world will hate us because we've been chosen out of the world and we no longer belong to the world. Now, there's another reason to heed Jesus' warning that the world will hate us. Uh, sorry, there's another reason why the world won't like us. There's another reason why the world won't like us. Uh, and that is that we follow a master who was hated by this world. So that's what Jesus says there in verse 18, doesn't he? If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And he says it again in verse 20, a servant is not greater than his master. See, it's a very simple and logical point, isn't it? If the world hated Jesus, why should we as his followers expect anything different? You might be thinking, well, hang on a minute. Does the world really hate Jesus? I mean, in our day, virtually no one would claim to hate Jesus. Most atheists would agree that he was a good man with wise teachings. Muslims who don't believe that he's the son of God still believe that he's a prophet. Hindus have many gods and will probably be happy enough to include Jesus among them as long as they don't have their own culture changed. And even sceptical, westerner, bolshe types who believe that religion is a bad influence are more likely to lay the blame at the feet of the Apostle Paul or Augustine or Luther or Calvin than at Jesus himself. Here in 2024, very few people would claim to hate Jesus. And so it's strangely easy for us to forget that in his own life, Jesus was hated and persecuted. Have a look at verse 24. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. Who is the they here? Well, it's first and foremost the Jewish leadership, isn't it? The ones who are about to have him crucified. They hated him. Jesus had called out their hypocritical, showy religion. He was not at all meek and mild in his preaching. He had made a huge impact with the crowds, which the leadership resented. 
And, and they're concerned about Jesus destabilizing the delicate political balance they have with the Romans. And so they hated him and they wanted to kill him. But Jesus' words in verse 24, they, they go deeper than that, don't they? Deeper than envy, deeper than the, the political inconvenience that Jesus was presenting to the leadership. See, they have received a revelation of God and they hate it. Jesus has come as the image of the invisible God. He has shown them the Father. He's spoken to them of the Father. Uh, through Jesus, they've encountered the Father's love and his compassion and his forgiveness and his grace, as well as encountering his power and his fearless righteousness. And that whole package, they hate. They're revolted by it. It's a gut response. See, that is what happened with the leaders of Jesus' day. Because they were in the devil's grip, they came face to face with the goodness of God and they hated it. Now, at one level, they had their reasons, Jesus destabilizing the deal that Jews had with the Romans and all of that. But at another level, at the gut level, it's all about verse 25. They hated me without reason. Can this still happen today? Yes, of course. It happens under many veneers. That veneer of, of awkwardness, you know, the awkwardness that a person feels when the name of Jesus is mentioned. Or, or, or of ignorance, it's under the veneer of ignorance, or it's under the veneer of the polite indifference that so many show. But ultimately, when all the veneers are stripped back, I think that Jesus divides people into two camps. You either love him or you hate him. There's no middle ground. Now, this story of Jesus and the Jewish leaders of his day sounds like a tragic one, doesn't it? I mean, here is the creator come into the world and the very ones who should have known him and welcomed him with open arms, they heard his teaching, they saw his astonishing deeds and they hated him. They rejected him and they killed him. And so much of the human race has followed in their footsteps of hating him without cause. It sounds like a deeply tragic story. I mean, what can overcome hatred without cause? And if the world hated Jesus in that way, then what hope could there be for this small band of followers who'll be left when he's gone? Well, as you know, the Christian story is not a tragedy. I hope I haven't brought you too low this morning. I'm sensing that you're feeling, we're all feeling the, the difficulty of this, aren't we? It's sad. But the Christian story is not a tragedy. It's a story with a happy ending because there is a power in the world to overcome hatred without cause. Have a look at verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, 
the Spirit who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, he says to his disciples, for you have been with me from the beginning. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, he is the one who can overcome the world's hatred because he will testify about Jesus. Now, this word testify is important because the Spirit is not just speaking about Jesus the way that you or I might do. Testimony is speech that's given by a witness, by someone who knows firsthand what they are talking about. The Holy Spirit knows Jesus because he has dwelt with him in the perfect circle of love with the Father and the Spirit and the Son forever and ever. So when the Holy Spirit testifies directly with a person's heart, he imparts his first-hand knowledge of the Son that Jesus is good and just and loving and that his death indeed was for you and for me. And in fact, if you personally know in your heart that you are loved by Jesus, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. You couldn't know that on your own. You could only know that because the Holy Spirit has testified with your heart. If it weren't for the work of the Holy Spirit, then it's sad to say, but you and I would all be going along with the world in its unreasonable hatred of Jesus. Do you see why testimony is so important? Because it's the first-hand knowledge that overcomes hatred. It's meeting somebody. There's a little story that uh, I, I read in a column, I think, on the, of the Sydney Morning Herald a few years back. Um, if you know anything about... If you're interested at all in politics in Australia... And if I mentioned the names of Tony Abbott and Peter Fitzsimons, you probably don't like both of them. Maybe you like one of them, but it's unlikely that you would have a high opinion of both these men because they're very, very much on the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of their political opinions. Well, Tony Abbott and Peter Fitzsimons were seen having coffee together at some lower North Shore cafe. And... They each of them received communications from all their fans, you know, on each side of the political spectrum, saying, how could you talk to that person? How could you be having coffee with him? But the point was, well, of course you can, because meeting the real person, having relationship with the real person, is the way to overcome the bitterness and the hatred that can be in relationships. It's about meeting the person. Jesus is promising here that after he has died and risen and ascended into heaven, he will send the Holy Spirit to testify to the world about him, to bring them to meet Jesus. And it's through the testimony that the hatred of millions has been melted and the love of God poured into so many hearts. By God's Spirit. 
The disciples were to testify as well, of course, because it says there, Jesus says in verse 27, you have been with me from the beginning. The disciples also were able to speak firsthand about Jesus, and it's from their testimony that the New Testament has been written down. Now, you and I can't testify in the same way about Jesus as the disciples did, because our knowledge of Jesus' earthly life is not firsthand, is it? But we can pass on the words of the apostles by sharing the gospel. We can pray for the Spirit to accompany our words with his powerful testimony in a person's heart. And we can also attest to what Jesus has done in our life. That's first-hand knowledge. I know and I can speak about how good it has been for me to have Jesus in my life. A first-hand encounter, that is the way to overcome hatred and win a person over. And that is the power that the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit bring. The power to speak directly to a person's heart, the first-hand knowledge of Jesus and make them meet him. So to finish up, it's pretty simple really. Jesus is warning us that the world will hate us because it hated him. He has chosen us out of the world to become citizens of his coming kingdom. We're just passing through on a heavenly passport. The locals realize this and they don't always like it. But just as God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, so you and I are to love the world, even if it doesn't love us. And we've been given the Holy Spirit who is testifying to the world about the goodness and the love of Christ. He's melted your heart already, right? He's made you love Jesus. Let's pray that he will melt many more hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the warning that Jesus gave here that it is frank. We thank you, Father, for choosing us out of the world and making us citizens of your heavenly Jerusalem. And we pray, Father, for the powerful work of your spirit to melt many hearts, show them the love of Jesus, so that as we step forward in love to your world, you might draw many more to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.